Welcome to The Road Less Traveled. I am your host and speaker, DB, and on this episode, I'm going to be actually talking about the preliminary hearing. Um, I know that I had mentioned that I would talk about it in a previous episode, and then I did have to explain some more things. So if you're just tuning in, this episode is going to be about the preliminary hearing. Uh, but first, uh, I did mention that I was uh, initially put into a medical unit where I did see a number of other people uh, who were in a much worse state than I was. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, after... Um, it was about a week, or at least it felt like a week. It was probably like three to five days, to be honest. Um, but after that time period, I was uh, eventually put into general population. And uh, general population, there's different levels. Like So based off your offense, you can go up to a higher level or you can go to a lower level. And then uh, within that, if you're, say, uh, sentenced or awaiting... Uh, like trial, you can go down in levels uh, based off good behavior, um, doing different programs, classes, etc. Um, but most people on their first offense are put into, uh, at least at my institution, uh, level three at, in the jail, and I was, yes, awaiting trial. So in um, general population, I finally was able to um, kind of have a more quote-unquote regular routine uh, because the medical unit had absolutely nothing. There were, uh, no books, there was no, like, TV, there was just nothing. Uh, and I may not have, like, been able to, I get, because those people weren't, weren't able to, like, participate in activities, because even, uh, in, say, general population or GP, you have yard time, and it's not exactly what you would imagine, uh, so it's not much more than having absolutely nothing to do. Yard time was, uh, you didn't get to go outside. There was an attached room that had a uh, big metal door that locked, and you got to go into another concrete room. Uh, but this concrete room had absolutely nothing in there. Uh, you got to, uh, you know, maybe play with a little ball, so you could play wall ball, little rubber ball. Uh, you could... Uh, kind of stare through a metal grate a little bit and see uh, somewhat of a skyline. Uh, but that was about it. There's really just nothing else to do. That's where you could go to work out um, for your 30, 40 minutes or however much time it was. Um, honestly, I didn't participate in yard time. I was still, uh, I don't know, still getting used to it. You know, complete change in surroundings, environment, people. <laughs> Uh, and I was just, I wasn't necessarily scared for my own personal safety, but I was, uh, just scared, you know? I just didn't know what was going to happen. There was a lot of fear and confusion, and I, like, other people had been through this before, and they knew what was going on. So, you know, I had a lot of questions, and finally when I was able to, uh, be slightly comfortable, like, people knew I was afraid. They could probably tell that, one, I looked fucked up, because I still had my injuries on, or on my face, and I still had those stitches going on, so they, you know, were asking questions of me, people checked my paperwork, you know, uh, it is kind of typical, like, just the movies where they do check your paperwork. Other inmates want to know what you're in for. They want to know if, one, you're a snitch, they want to know if you're a sex offender, they want to know maybe if you beat women. They want to know these things because some of them want to handle stuff. They want to make either a name for them or they want to take care of you. Who knows? Maybe hurt someone they know. 
like the streets are all very interconnected all those people it's small circles you know just how you can run into your friends on the streets these people are running in very small circles here so maybe debts are owed maybe there's bad blood or just you know all of the above so it is uh it is just like the movies people checked my paperwork saw that i was in for a dui uh most of them disregarded me uh but the first person that I did talk to and actually was able to get some information from about what to expect was a guy who went by the name of Snuggy. And uh, this guy, he he was, I guess, uh, like we didn't have bunks in level three. So it was just a flat open room. Uh, you had rows. At the end of the row was like a kind of small library. So I was able to finally start getting some reading in, kind of start... Uh, allowing my mind to decompress from such a horrific incident, uh, just a massive change in my world. Um, and so Snuggy was able to explain like, Hey, you're going to go, um, finally be presented before a judge. And you know, you're going to say if you're guilty or not guilty. And he's like, you always say not guilty, even if you are, um, and that's because it's going to allow your lawyer time to prepare your defense. And he explained that doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to plead your actual innocence. It's you are trying to look for mitigating factors uh, that will allow your lawyer or public defender to get you a better deal. Because ultimately that is what you are now trying to go for is a negotiation. Uh, you will then go to a preliminary hearing where the evidence will be presented both for and against you. Um, that will allow you to receive your discovery. Your discovery is all the information that your public defender has. Because um, I was assigned a public defender. I did not have a lawyer in the beginning. And, or a paid lawyer, excuse me. So uh, he explained all this. He didn't, uh, he didn't quite explain it how I'm saying it. He did have his own... Uh, a way of telling me these things uh but the sentiment was there like he was he was trying to help me he was trying to calm me down he was trying to he'd been through the system before and you know he just saw someone uh who could really use a little bit of uh you know talking to and i asked him where his name snuggy came from because it's obviously like a street name or some sort of gang name uh, and it's weird because he that's how he runs in the streets, he says. And I'm sure there's plenty of Snuggies, so this isn't like an exclusive thing. But I guess his mom called him that. And that was kind of sad. I was like, man, your mom gave you this term of endearment and now you're gangbanging. You're, you know, you're in jail for, I can't remember what it was. I, but it was, uh, I think his second or third time. And he said he was looking at prison since he was a repeat offender. And, uh... I guess his mom was, you know, heartbroken and still come to visit him and everything. So uh, he was facing that. And there's just, you know, hundreds of stories like that. And at a certain point, you you do feel sorry for a lot of these people. It's It's not so black and white when you start living amongst, you know, criminals or people that have committed crimes. It's easy to label people as felons or criminals or what have you, but they're still people. I mean, most of them aren't monsters. I, I've definitely met some just terrible people, but most of them 
you know, are just people that maybe they just didn't quite go down the right path or maybe someone didn't show them the right path or no one had the time of day for them or judge them or couldn't like maybe they didn't have a proper upbringing a family fell into drugs too early like there's a lot of things that when you start eating and share breaking bread with these people and actually listening you start learning things and you start getting a different perspective and I didn't judge these people, but I definitely, I did, I definitely lacked understanding. I will say that. So, thank you, Snuggy, for all that. That was very helpful because, um, you know, I did plead not guilty. My public defender did seem like a person who was at times completely overwhelmed with his job. He seemed to have an insurmountable caseload that just he did not have the time of day for me. Uh, there were a couple times where he forgot either my file or my name, so that was fun. Uh, definitely did not instill confidence. Uh, so I did went to preliminary hearing pretty much just like without any idea other than what like Snuggy and the few people around me told me were going to happen. Um, the one thing that my lawyer explained that he would try for uh, during preliminary hearing would be one... Um, we were going to have bail set because at the time no bail had been set like a week had passed or something. Uh, this was during, uh, when I pled not guilty. So during that, I pled not guilty bail hearing bail got set by my judge at $300,000, which I thought was an astronomical figure because the percentage I would have to pay, excuse me, pay to a bail bondsman, uh, would have been $45,000 and I, I mean, I don't have a house. I just crashed my car, so I don't have any collateral. I have credit cards that are maxed out. And I have uh, just a substantial amount of student loans. So the statute says that uh, bail should be set at a reasonable amount. I don't think that over a year's salary without taxes and no bills being paid is reasonable. I am the average man, I believe, or the average person. If I can't make bail to do my own defense, if I save for a straight year, like I wouldn't even have the amount of money after a straight year, that is unreasonable. That's insane. Like, what? I looked at the, uh, excuse me, then I tried for um, house arrest because I was like, okay, if you're not going to allow me to just do straight bail, I would be willing to, one, submit my license because, again, don't have a car. Uh, but I have a girl had a girlfriend at the time, and she had a vehicle, so I was like, I will surrender my license. I will wear a scram bracelet on my ankle. I will check in weekly at the, uh, you know, either uh, the courthouse or the DMV or wherever you like me to present myself, the police station. I also still have a job to go to. Like, I also have, at the time, an aunt who was ailing. Like, she... Uh, I was taking care of uh, my aunt who had COPD uh, and also cancer, unfortunately. She was a person who was homebound, and I would drop off groceries for her. Like, I presented my case. I said I had significant ties to the community. I'd lived in this place for over 15 years. Um, This is my first time in trouble. Uh, Please have some understanding. Uh, I check eight of the nine boxes for house arrest. The ninth box would have been substantial crime and mine was it was a a very substantial crime someone had lost their life so i did not account for that one 
But eight of the nine seemed pretty good. Uh, and they immediately denied me and didn't give me a second time of day. And I didn't even get to say a word after that. It was just, nope, sorry, next. That was at the uh, hearing for um, both plead guilty, not guilty, and also the bail setting. Moving on to the preliminary hearing, um, I mentioned the uh, the bail. Uh, I was immediately shut down again, and the uh, lawyer, or excuse me, <clears throat> the judge at the time uh, said that she did not set that. That was the judge who stood in for her while she was on vacation. Um, and I politely tried to tell her, no, that was you. And she told me to be quiet and proceeded to talk to my lawyer. And I was just flabbergasted because not only did this woman seemingly have no idea that one, she had judged me uh, like, and like, cause she was wrong. She was the one who had set my bail. She didn't remember me. She sees too many people. So I just, I was like at a loss. I, I felt like, wow, you don't, you're not actually considering me in any way, shape or form. Like you're not listening. You don't understand. And there's, I felt absolutely powerless. I realized like, oh my God, it was just a sinking feeling because my lawyer or public defender wasn't speaking up for me. And the whole preliminary hearing just seemed like a sham. I was led into an empty courtroom where one by one, the quote unquote witnesses against me, because there were no witnesses for me at this point, apparently, uh, every witness was asked by the judge, hi, is the person in question in this courtroom? And they all pointed directly at the only fucking person in this courtroom, me wearing jailhouse blues and said, yeah, guys, there he is. There he is sitting right there. Like, how is that due process? I mean, if you lined me up with a bunch of other guys that look just like me, I'm pretty sure people at 2 a.m. during a horrific scene of an accident might be like, yeah, it might have been that guy, might have been that guy. But when you literally eliminate the ability for anyone to have a choice in the matter, like if you give someone the 100% every time this is the correct answer and that's all they can choose, well, guess what? They're going to get it right. Why even do the charade? So uh, they gave a bunch of different uh, statements, uh, which was just crazy because I couldn't refute anything. I, of course, cared a whole bunch about what was going to happen to me. So I poured over my discovery. I looked through every single sheet of paper multiple times. I asked for advice from people around me. I, I tried to look up everything in the law library that I could. I tried to prepare for this moment as much as I could. I only had a few weeks because I think it was like two to three weeks in. And I was just going over everything. I was trying to learn as much as I could. I was trying to understand half the shit's in fucking Latin. Like, how is that allowed either? Like, the law is written as such that the people that are held accountable by it, a.k.a. the American public, like, they, most people can't understand that shit. Are you kidding me? This stuff is arcane. Arcane. Sorry. Um... Well, I guess arcane actually works because a lot of it is just insane. It's strangely worded. It's so up to interpretation, too. Beyond that, beyond the Latin, it's also up to interpretation. We're still quibbling over things that were written 
hundreds of years ago. We didn't have the answers then. We don't have the answers now. That's why things are shades of gray. There are alternatives. And I do think a lot of this stuff needs to be retooled. But that is a discussion for a different time. So, anyway. The charade continues because I have gone over the witness statements in depth. And the witness statements are starting to change. Which I do remember from my psychology college classes that most eyewitness accounts are completely unreliable. Facts, quote-unquote, change over time because memory fades. Things that were so traumatically ingrained in your memory fade very quickly because the mind needs to cope. Little details alter, small things change. Things soften over time. And it's remarkable, within a few weeks' time, what people can change. So it none of that mattered, though. None of that mattered. I am 100% guilty because I tried to bring up those things like little points and my public defender was like, listen, none of that matters. And the biggest thing working against me was, one, obviously I'd done it, so I was fully accepting of that. I was. I was fully accepting of that. Like, I wanted to, like, admit guilt accept responsibility, but I still valued my own life. And at this time, the DA with the offer was the maximum sentence, which is not an offer. Like, I'm in trouble for the very first time. How, why, why, why would you offer me the maximum sentence? And my public defender just was honest, at least. He said, you know, the guy's got a home run. There is no way this man can lose. Your car has a black box on it because it was a newer model. So it told us exactly how fast you were going at the time of accident, which I was going about 80, I think it was 88. Um, and uh, I apparently braked, tried to swerve. Uh, I was going 83 at the time of the impact. So they have all those details, which again, fine. I have done it. I, I accept that. I was completely blackout drunk. I do not remember that. I wish to God I had had less to drink to where I was at least able to be aware of my surroundings. Because even drunk me would not have gotten that car to leave the house that night. I normally go jogging. I got into a massive argument apparently with my ex. Normally go jogging for some odd reason. First time took off in my car. Can't explain why. And she didn't even know I left. She thought I jogged too. She thought I was just going around the block. But we both... uh, Well, she found out actually through my aunt at the time. uh, Because uh, I was on the news, of course. And that's how... uh, That's how my aunt found out. So, back to preliminary. They had no offer. That offer is not an offer. So... Um, my lawyer explained that he was going to, um, ask for a continuance so we could then set a date for trial. Uh, and they set it a few months out, which was a shocker for me because things are so slow. I will fast forward and say like my case got pushed back multiple times, delay after delay after delay. I did two years in County awaiting sentencing and awaiting an answer. So, 
those delays came three, five months at a time. It was pushbacks. Like, and and that started breaking me. I didn't have answers. I was doing the sentence in jail, and I, I was cracking a little bit. I'll get into that in later episodes. It might be a little hard to talk about. Um, but I'll wrap up preliminary hearing, because we're kind of pushing 20 minutes here. So... Uh, my lawyer explained that he would file a motion for the full discovery. And I asked him what that meant. And he was like, hey, well, you know, we have to file a motion to the courts to ask for the full discovery. That way, if, say, the DA has anything that he is holding back and hasn't presented during preliminary, he will then have to turn that over to us. And that's when I realized it's all a fucking game. They're playing with lives. Like, wait a minute, you're telling me if this guy's got, say, for example, something that exonerates me. He's got he's got something. He, ha- he has one little bit of the puzzle that you just somehow missed or don't have. If he has that and we don't file for discovery or the full discovery, you're telling me he can hold on to that and withhold it in order to win a case. And... My public defender wouldn't give me a clear answer on that. He he didn't want to say, yeah. He didn't want to say, like, hey, if the opposing side or say even me, it's not... I mean, like, the public defender, I am a guilty client. So, obviously, he's not going to turn over stuff, for example, that would hurt me, right? But the other side plays the same way. So, if they have something that helps you, they're not going to turn that over either. That's just logic, and that's just how it works. So, there are going to be times, there are going to be cases and instances where someone who doesn't belong in prison is going to be put there because the other side is either malicious, not doing the right thing, or, or on the other token, Someone's not doing their job enough, or effectively. They're not fully prepared, so their inadequacy is hurting someone and putting them in prison. So, we filed for the full discovery. There wasn't any secrets hiding. There was nothing like, hey, I wasn't even behind the wheel. There was none of that. Like, we knew I was guilty. And a lot of time started passing from there. A lot of delays and a lot of continuances started happening. So, we will pick back up on the next episode and we'll just start talking about jail itself. Um, Because I did have to fill that two-year gap with things to do. Or else I was going to slowly lose my mind. But that's on the next episode, so tune in for that uplifting one. (laughs) Uh, But for now, thank you for tuning in, guys. I do appreciate it. And for now, signing off. Have a good night.